I'm the angel Gabriel. Do not be afraid. For God sent me to be his messenger of good news. First, I visited the priest named Zechariah to make his impossible fatherhood dream a reality. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, both too old to have children, will become parents to the fulfillment of Isaiah's promise. Their son John will be the one to make paths straight, to remove every barrier, to build a highway to the good news of salvation for all. John's message of repentance and forgiveness will build the lookout for all humanity to see the arrival of the Messiah, the Savior. So filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, John will be mistaken for the prophets long forgotten, a prophet like Elijah. But John's message is the groundwork on which the good news will rest. Next, my message of good news was for Mary. I assured her that God was with her, but she was still so frightened, so young, so humble, and God's favor poured over her. Mary is the virgin, then only betrothed to Joseph, who will be with child, deliver, and mother God's only son, Jesus. Mary's son will bear out every of God's prophecies for salvation. Mary's son will be great and will grow to be known as the Son of the Most High. Jesus will inhabit a new throne in a new kingdom, a kingdom that will never end. At first, Mary struggled to understand. With only reason to make sense of what I was telling her, she could find no truth. So I reminded Mary of my earlier message, the message made true in the miracle of Zechariah, Elizabeth, and their yet-to-be-born child, John. Only after that reminder of the miracle already touching her family did Mary begin to realize the good news of the message that God trusted me to deliver. If the miracle of Elizabeth's pregnancy is true, then nothing is impossible with God. This singular message of good news delivered to both Zechariah and Mary sets into motion God's salvation story for the world. God revealed his love in creation. God nurtured his love to his people. And God will fulfill his love through his son, Jesus. The good news God entrusts me to deliver is the good news of his love. The good news of Emmanuel, God with us. The good news of Jesus. I am the angel Gabriel. God sent me as a messenger of the good news. I know God's love and I see God's love story unfolding through Jesus. Merry Christmas, Redeemer. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all of you watching online. It is such an honor to welcome all of you. Thank you for celebrating part of your Christmas with us together. Especially if you're visiting with us, a special thanks. We're just so glad that you're here with us. This church has some amazing people that know how to love and serve well. So if you're looking, I can't think of a better place for you to call a church home than right here. As I was preparing for the message, it has been with a heightened sense of emotions because this is the last Christmas I'll be giving this message as your pastor. In February, I will be starting a new position, not in a church. And while I look forward with anticipation and excitement for the challenges that lie ahead, I have to admit a couple times when I was writing this, I got a little choked up this week thinking about all of you. I can't thank you deeply enough. 
for the way that we have been church family these last 25 years. We've laughed together, we've cried together, we've rejoiced together, and most importantly, we have encouraged each other to love God more and more, and then to share that love with others. My heart is full, so thank you. During Advent, we have been looking at this miracle of Christmas from different perspectives. We looked at the first Christmas from Zechariah's perspective, and then Mary's perspective, and then John the Baptist's perspective, and then last week we looked at it from the shepherd's perspective. Perspective is so important, isn't it? Our decisions about how we live our lives are based on our perspectives. I brought up here a water bottle. Some of you would look at this and say, well, John, that water bottle is half full, right? You optimists out there. Some of you would also look at this and say, John, but your water bottle is half empty. Perspective changes our outlook. And Christmas, as you might imagine, is seen from people from many different perspectives. Ebenezer Scrooge sees it as a time to hoard and hold on to everything that's his, to tighten the purse strings. A mom might see it as a time for all of her kids to be home. A child might see it as a time for them to get the toy that he or she really desperately wants. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we see it as a time to remember the birth of a baby. It's interesting how people can look at Christmas and see it so differently. Pastor Jason just gave a reading from the angel Gabriel's perspective, but in truth, Gabriel wasn't speaking for himself. He was speaking for God. And so, in following in the vein of our Advent series, I want to share for a few minutes today about Christmas from God's perspective. What was God thinking about that first Christmas? Why did he do what he did? I think the answer lies in a single word that was sprinkled throughout the message that Jason just gave from Gabriel. Gabriel first tells Mary, be not afraid, for the Lord is with you. And then he says, Mary, you'll become pregnant and you will be with child. And at the end, Gabriel encourages Mary and reminds her, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. The little word I want to talk about is the word with. Being with someone is so powerful. As humans, we have this ability to experience emotions. And, and to various degrees, all of us have experienced what it feels like not to be with someone. What it feels like to be alone. Nobody wants to admit to being lonely. Nobody wants to be the kid in that school cafeteria eating lunch all by himself. There was a movie that I really liked when it came out called Forrest Gump. <laughs> Last week I was flipping through some channels at home and what comes on? Forrest, Forrest Gump. And as I'm watching it, I again watched Forrest get on the school bus for the first time. And nobody wanted to let Forrest sit with him. They all slid over and they said, this seat is taken. And you kind of, you feel the pain. You feel the rejection. And then a little girl named Jenny says, well, you can sit with me. And he's not alone anymore. He's got someone to be with. And Jenny, throughout the story, becomes like this little angel to him. Christmas is all about being with. Being with friends. Being with family. Being with others at a holiday party. Or being with each other. So cool at the beginning just to see those of you that are here, see some people you maybe haven't seen in a while, and the joy on your faces to be with them. Yet for a lot of people, those who have gone through a loss or a breakup or an illness or depression, 
for maybe somebody looking for a relationship and can't find it, or they've someone wanting to have a child and it's been unattainable until this point. Christmas can be the loneliest time of the year. Maybe it is for you. When my daughter Hannah was just five, she decided, she grabbed a box, and she decided that she wanted to wrap a gift for Jesus and put it under the tree. I thought that was adorable. So I asked her, you know, what are you going to put in it? The box that she's holding. And without skipping a beat, she goes, oh, my love. And while that sentiment was sweet, and it melted my heart and made me proud as a dad, the pragmatic side of me said, John, she's wrapping an empty box. (laughs) But unfortunately, that's what Christmas is for so many. It's well-wrapped emptiness, right? Things can look good on the outside, but inside... They're hurting. They're feeling alone. Facebook and social media can magnify this, can it? I mean, you can look at all the amazing experiences everybody else is having during Christmas and or the holidays, and you go, wow, that makes me feel even more lonely. Sometimes we think our loneliness can be alleviated if we just, if, if we just had all the right circumstances in our lives. Or if we just had that right relationship. You know, that one person that can just kind of take away our loneliness. Like the great theologian Elvis Presley said, I'll have a blue Christmas without you. But church, on Christmas, we recognize too that there's a kind of loneliness that's so deep, no mere human being can ever take that away. Some of the most influential thinkers in the last century have argued that loneliness is the inevitable human condition. One philosopher said the reason we're lonely is that we're creatures who seek meaning, but we live in a meaningless world. Well, that's a little heavy. The biologist Richard Dawkins wrote, the reason we're lonely is that the universe offers no design, no purpose, no hope, just a blind, pitiless indifference. Friends, the story of Christmas is God saying, that's not so. It's not true. It's not how things are. Christmas reminds us that we were made by God for God and that God actually hates loneliness. You look back in the very beginning and God said, it's not good for man or people to be alone. God doesn't want anybody sitting at the cafeteria table all by themselves for lunch. The central theme of the Bible is God's desire to be with his people. In fact, in the Old Testament alone, God says, be not afraid, I will be with you 114 times. He doesn't want us going through life feeling lonely. Throughout the Old Testament, God gives these amazing pictures of God being with us. He partners with his servant Moses, and he leads his people all out of slavery into the wilderness and watches over them and feeds them and is with them for over 40 years. Then he builds a temple, and he says, well, this will be like my house, and I'll be with you when you come to pray, and I'll be with you to receive your worship, and I'll be with you to give you guidance. It's almost like God's not satisfied to be with you. So he finally says, I'm going to come down there and be with you. That's Jesus. That's Christmas. That's the greatest and also the smallest miracle of all. God causes all of his person, all of his presence, all of his power to be condensed and compacted into this frail, fragile human little body and to be present with this Peasant girl named Mary and her family. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. 
And as you read and learn more about this Jesus as he grows, you realize that word with really becomes kind of one of his signature words. We're told that Jesus takes this motley crew of 12 fishermen and tax collectors. He appoints them his apostles so that he might be with them. And he teaches them and he trains them and he's with them. And then he sends them out to do the very same things he's been doing. The blind see, the lame walk, the lost are found. And the religious authorities of the time are in an uproar. They see these ordinary, unschooled men performing these amazing acts in God's name. And the Bible uses this word. They were astonished. But then it says they took note that these men had been with Jesus. (laughs) During his time on earth, Jesus was with beggars and with lepers and with foreigners and with prostitutes and even with enemy soldiers. One time, a religious leader, hoping to offend him, called him a friend of sinners, and he wore it like a badge of honor. That little word, with, is kind of what got him killed, because he kept hanging out with the wrong people, scandalous people. And to to top it all off, Jesus claimed that he was with God, that he and God were one. So the authorities hung him on a cross, and he died. And three days later, he was resurrected. And after that, at the very end of Matthew's gospel, that little word with comes up again. Jesus has been resurrected. He's restored Peter and his disciples. He's shown himself to over 500 of his followers. He's just given the great commission. Go into all the world. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to follow my ways. And then he makes this last promise before he returns to heaven. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now you might wonder, how can Jesus be present with us if he's not present bodily? But being with somebody is not just physical proximity, right? You can sit down at the dinner table and the person across from you can be, you know, their mind, their attention, their presence can be a million miles away. We call those people teenagers. Or in my case, my wife calls it her husband, John. But what Jesus is saying, though, is is now that he's been crucified, now that he's been buried, now that he's been resurrected, now that he's conquered death, he's no longer restricted to a body like you and I are. He can be present with you anywhere, anytime. He wants to be with you. That's why he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us. And that's the personal message of Christmas, right? Tomorrow, you can wake up in the morning and you can simply just say, Jesus, will you be with me today? And he will. He'll be with you in your thoughts. He'll be with you as you go to work, as you go to school. He'll be with you as you be with your family. He'll be with you in your pain, in your struggles, in your decisions, in your hopes. He'll be with you by his presence of the Holy Spirit. He'll be with you through others. Jesus had a wonderful way of being present with the least of these. The poor, the sick, the forgotten, the imprisoned, the lonely. He turned a deathbed into a place of triumph. And now this (laughs) all-encompassing, all-powerful presence, incredible, sustaining power, wants to be with you, wants to be with me today. He can bring hope when you're feeling hopeless. He can bring 
joy when you're feeling joyless. He can bring freedom when you're feeling bound. Turns out that when we feel lonely, it's really a good clue of how God made us. When we're hungry, it reminds us, you know what? You were made to eat. When we're thirsty, you were made to drink. When you're lonely, you were made to be with God. Right? Last week, I was listening to the classic Beatles song. I guess classic and Beatles go hand in hand. Uh, Eleanor Rigby. But there's this line that kind of haunts you. All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? (laughs) At Christmas, I think the answer is pretty clear. It's from those that live apart from God. Apart from his love. That's the good news of Christmas. You don't have to go through life that way. You can go through life asking Jesus to be with you. You can ask him to forgive you for all the wrong stuff you've done, the sin and the the stuff that you're embarrassed about and the flaws and the stuff that makes you hide and isolate and become lonely. He can give you a fresh start, make you feel new again. Now, maybe you're sitting here for many of you. You're already a Christian. You've heard this message many times. But if you're honest, you haven't felt with God for quite some time. You can begin all over again. Make that space for him right now. You want to know the other part of the good news? Not only does Jesus desire to be with you, you don't do this alone because there's another with statement found in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. That's an amazing promise. God's plan for loneliness is for us to be a part of a family, a community like this, where everybody is embraced, everybody is loved, everybody is cared for. Nobody needs to be lonely or left out. It's ironic to me as you look at the technology that we have today, as our technologies increase Poverty, illiteracy, disease, they're all decreasing. But do you know what's not going down? Loneliness. Loneliness is on the rise. In fact, researchers are finding out that loneliness is a much bigger deal than they originally thought. Three out of four Americans right now are suffering from loneliness. When our, in our world where there's never been an easier time to connect with others through technology, loneliness is reaching epidemic proportions. We're connected more, but we're lonely more. Over the last 30 years, the number of Americans who say, I have a close friend in whom I can confide in, has dropped 50%. Wow. There's a whole field of treatment that's kind of emerged. You'll see it when you get on a plane. It's called pet therapy. Numerous studies have shown that the presence of an animal can lessen the pain of isolation. So people buy dogs, and they buy rabbits and gerbils and hamsters, even pet goldfish, to reduce the loneliness they feel. But not cats. If you read the Bible, there's all these amazing animals in the Bible, but no mention of cats. I think maybe God blew it on that one. Okay, last message, since this is my last message, moment of truth here, true confession. I don't own a cat, but I actually like cats. I just like to poke fun at the people that own cats, okay? But we live in this sinful, fallen, broken world. We experience tragedy, sometimes on a global level, a mass shooting, a a natural disaster like a hurricane or a flood or a worldwide pandemic. 
or we see others that are at war and we go, where are you, God? Why don't you do something? And then we come to a service like this and we're reminded, he did, he sent himself to be with us. He doesn't promise to make everything easy and rosy in our lives, but he does promise to be with us, to empower us, to help us walk in victory, to share that hope and that good news with others so that they too might not be alone. In January, we're launching a series called Blessed. And we're going to look at what does it mean to be blessed by God? Because oftentimes we think that we are blessed when God meets every one of our expectations. <laughs> and when he doesn't, we're not blessed. And yet that's not what the Bible describes as blessings from God. And so we're going to look at what those are so that we can better understand with clarity the perfect, constant faithfulness and good blessings of God. Jesus has a plan when tragedies come or when a family loses a child or an aging parent is struggling with an illness. I remember a time very clearly when I felt very alone. Almost nine years ago, a few weeks after I had become a widower, I found myself home alone. One of the ways I kind of dealt with that loss and my grief was just to keep busy. But on this particular Friday night, my daughter was off at college. My son went to sleep over at a friend's house, and I sat down, and I thought, I'm just going to turn on the TV, occupy my mind. And I sat down, and for the first time, I sat there in silence, alone with my thoughts, alone with my grief. And I said to myself, this is what it feels like to be alone. But then in the midst of that grief, there was this growing sense of peace inside my heart didn't make sense flooded my heart with peace and I felt the presence of God in a very powerful way and at that time was the perfect moment Jesus has a plan when tragedies come it's for him to be with us and for us not to be alone and then I experienced through family and friends, many of you, <laughs> your incredible grace and selflessness, care and love that helped me go through what I was feeling. So I could know of the goodness of God and the goodness of his people. And that is, in, that is God's message of Christmas. God and sinners reconciled. Because of his great love, because of his desire to be with us, he sends his son that we can be made anew, that we can be forgiven, that we can go through life with God. Would you pray with me, please? God, I'm just so grateful that when we simply ask you to be with us, you are. Lord, that you can forgive our past, our regrets, our flaws, our brokenness, the mess that we've made. You can give us a new heart and a clean start. And so, Lord, right now on this Christmas Eve, we just pray, Father, right now in the quietness of your heart, that you would just be open and say, Jesus, would you be with me? Would you be with me? Around here, we like to say yes to Jesus. 
I can't think of a better time to experience his love and his goodness and his grace in a powerful, life-changing, real way. So, Father, we just say that we have sinned against you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, for dying for us. Send your Holy Spirit into our lives today that we might say yes. God, I thank you for every person in this room, every person listening to me online. I pray for every aching or broken heart. I pray that Emmanuel, God with us, would be experienced by all. In this holy moment, Jesus, receive our worship and our wonder and our adoration and our praise. Fill each heart listening to me now with your hope and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, if that's you, online, here in this room, saying yes to Jesus, we have a blue table. Pastor Jason, maybe a couple others will be over there. I know you're here with family and it might be busy, but to take a moment and powerfully acknowledge you saying yes to Jesus is the most important thing you can do this Christmas. They will pray for you, encourage you, bless you, help you on your way. For those of you online, you can just go to Next Steps on our website, and they'll give you all the details too. All right. Love your Redeemer. Merry Christmas.